Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to the latest episode of the Banished to the Pen podcast. This is the audio component of the website Banished to the Pen, a baseball blog run by fans of the Baseball Prospectus podcast, Effectively Wild. I am not Ryan Sullivan, the Baron of all baseball podcasts, but he will return next time. I am Brandon Lee of Banished to the Pen, and tonight I am I am very excited to be joined by a couple of returning guests. Uh, first of all, coming at us from Atlanta, Georgia, it's Banished to the Pen contributor Nick Stranges. Hello, Nick. Hey, how's it going? Hey, it is it is going quite well. How's how is it in Atlanta? And I hear there's a there's a new TV show in your neighborhood. That's right. So um, it's it's a lot cooler these days. Not because it's actually you know temperature colder, but uh, the uh, new Donald Glover show Atlanta just came on a couple weeks ago, and I watched the first episode this week, and uh, I think it's pretty cool. It's a whole side to Atlanta that uh, is in my backyard, and I I have no experience with. So it's it's pretty awesome, and you can check out. Uh, the East Atlanta Village in the trailer, so right down the street from where I live. Pretty proud of uh, my little neighborhood. That's fantastic. I I've been meaning to uh, to look into that show a little more, and this this might be the push that I need. There you go. To, there you go. To do that, and then coming to us from beautiful Sonoma, California, featured uh, this man was featured prominently in the New York Times bestseller "The Only Rule Is It Has to Work." It's Tim Livingston. Hello, Tim. Hey, how's it going, Brandon? I don't know about prominently. I was mentioned, but I was not nearly as crazy as uh, one Theo Fightmaster. So. <laughs> um, I, I hear I hear you have a trip coming up, Tim. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I basically I drove down so people know um, probably if they've listened to the podcast before. I'm 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 going to St. Mary's, and uh, that's my graduate program uh, in business analytics. And there's an optional program. For members of the business, um, the graduate business school to go on an international trip, and this year the professional MBA students are going to Seoul and South Korea, and so um, there was a few spots available, and I jumped all over the chance to do it, and I'm going to be heading to South Korea at the end of March to stay with my good friend who is teaching English out there. I'm going to stay with him for a few days. He lives in Daegu which is one of the larger cities that's not Seoul in South Korea. And then uh, I will go to Seoul to be part of the program for a week. My hope is to see some KBO, um, uh, which I think will open up during my time there. So I'm hoping to see a bunch of bat flips. And then after my time with the program, I'm going to be off to Tokyo, Japan, and I'm going to spend a week uh, with... Takashi Miyoshi, who's from Tokyo, and says that I can come and stay with him, and I'm going to go there and uh, do all the touristy stuff, but I hope to see, if he's still there, uh, Shohei Otani, I hope he's still there, <laughs> um, and uh, and some other cool things, too. Uh, Kaz Yamazaki, who, who's, uh, uh, who's been a contributor and who's a big fan of Effectively Wild, I know he lives out there, too, so hopefully we'll see some baseball together. But yeah, it's a cool trip. I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. That sounds fantastic, Tim. You'll definitely have to keep us posted once you once you do make your way out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, and uh, I'll keep everybody abreast of everything once I get more details. But uh, yeah, I will be I will be tweeting my baseball exploits if there are any. That is for sure. Absolutely. That's just that's just what we need. Tweet strong. Tweet strong, Tim. Um, to start us off, I will ask our all time favorite question. Do you have any banter? Well, I wanted to ask Tim about uh, maybe if you're a rising senior in college and you're not getting a lot of looks uh, from pro scouts, do you want to play independent baseball? Uh, how do you go about that, and uh, what's a good way to do it? Well, I mean, we've had, I mean, just from our experience, we've run the gamut of everybody from Division One to people who didn't even, like, who played some JC ball and then, you know, decided to, Try it out after they're done. Um, as far as like the rookies we got this year, um, one played at a D3 school out in Kansas City, uh, Randy Keene, and he actually ended up being a big part of our stretch run. And so, um, you know, he was a Juco guy out of nearby Napa, went to Division three school, uh, did very well there as a two-way player. And then, uh, you know, we brought him in once he was done down in the Pecos League. 
But like as far as like seniors go, um, you know, like like I tried to, I, I didn't have the the time on my hands like uh, Sam and Ben did last year to to keep an eye out for the players um, that were not drafted. I reached out to a few and did get some responses, but they were very kind of. Um, all over the place. I did have one very close call with a player. Unfortunately, couldn't make it happen in time for him to make the, the jump. But, you know, as far as what we're looking for, um, you know, we're, we're looking for guys that, uh, you know, from a raw skill department have something that stands out, whether it is speed, uh, defensively. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of guys that kind of have the speed combo, but they really don't have much with the bat. And so we need to see something with the bat, obviously. But, um, we really it's all about pitching for us out of the college ranks you know there was a lot of success with that last year of course when the spreadsheet guys uh, were such a huge part of our success in 2015 um, you know and and one of them Taylor Thurber who wasn't there last year but was here this year he definitely was a big part of his success so you know as far as what we're looking for um, you know very low walk total keep it in the strike zone if you're in the strike zone you're going to do well in the Pacific Association um, but on the hitting side, you know, uh, more than just, you know, one very much a standout tool, but, you know, you need to be able to, to, to hit the ball. Like in this league, uh, hitting is, is the, the, the commodity that is, uh, is kind of looked at a little bit more with a, I would say, focus on, on power. Than others, a lot of big swings and, and big misses in this league. Um, and, and the other thing, too, is can you handle a breaking ball? If you can handle a breaking ball, as a hitter, um, and not feel like you can chase that outside pitch, uh, you know, we, we are very interested because that type of back control is like the stepping stone between this league and, and going up to the American Association or, or some of the other leagues. So uh, pitchers, keep it in the zone. Hitters, laying off the breaking balls that break outside the zone. If you got that, uh, you were very most likely interested. And if Theo was on this call... Um, if you can provide your own host family, that would also be <laughs> beneficial to uh, to joining the Stompers. So. And uh, I mean, do people contact you before the season? You know, or do they? Is it normally like a frantic, like you know, it's May first, and they're like, "Oh no, this isn't going to work out. I got to find somebody to play for." You know, uh, how does that usually come together? Oh, we get we get we get emails every day. I mean, okay. you know, Theo. One of, of course, if you read the book, and everybody here has read the book, but like uh, Sam's uh, email chains with uh, prospective players. Um, you know, people we've we've had people's parents send us emails. Um, you know, like it's it's been it's very odd um, when people let us know that they want to play. But the other thing too is that you know we have tryouts, and one of the things is. We understand that people, you know, like want us to go off of their stats because we are a stats forward organization, but it's like, we need to see something in the flesh that matches up with those stats, you know? And so for me, just, you know, have a, uh, you know, have a, you know, have, have the ability to come out, show us what you got. Um, we don't necessarily skew local, but at any of the tryouts, come out, show us you can play. And uh, and and see if uh, see if you have what it takes. You know that's that's the other thing too is like, you know, people like just want us to go off of what we see in an email. It's like, yeah, we'd love for that to happen, but unless we have some deep statistical dive like Chris did with his spreadsheets, uh, or we get to see it in person, you know, um, there's not much we can really do. And so you know, we're, you need to show us as much as possible. I have I have a question about those tryouts. How? does the makeup of the people trying out kind of break down? Like, are there uh, mostly people with some baseball experience, uh, high school or college at any level? Are there a lot of people who kind of are showing up because they think, oh, hey, it'd be cool to try out for a professional baseball team and they haven't played baseball uh, you know, higher than college, higher than high school, or they haven't played uh, any sort of organized ball in a little while, but they thought, hey, it'd be fun to show up. Um, the last, the latter is actually much smaller than people would think. Uh, we have, we try to legitimize the idea that people, you know, you're, you're paying a fee to try out in, in basically all cases. 
Um, unless we get a recommendation from someone very specific, we won't let you just come and try out, even if you're local. Um, and so that's one of the things is that if people want to pay, you know, to, to try out, um, you know, that's great. But it's also a way for us to kind of vet people who are really interested and have the skills to back it up. It's like, well, put your money where your mouth is type of stuff. So um, the latter, yeah, the latter of the two things you described, yeah, we actually, we don't have too many of those. My first year, uh, there was one guy who kind of stood out in particular, like, oh yeah, there's baseball. I'm going to go try out for it. <laughs> and he was, you know, pretty outclassed. So, um, you know, it just, it just kind of depends. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we, we, the majority of them are guys who have played before either at other professional leagues or, um, have played at the college level, but there are a lot of guys who just think like a phone call or an email is going to get the job done when we're literally getting, you know, hundreds of reach outs on a regular basis throughout the season or leading up to the season that, uh, say, oh yeah, we'd love to go play with these. Like, yeah, we understand that, but you have to do something better than that to show us, so. Would would Tim Tebow have made the Stompers? Probably not. Oh. Because because unfortunately we have a seventy eight game season and so <laughs> he's a project. Um, you know that's kind of I, I'm not surprised the Mets signed him now because now they're going to give him instructs. They'll give him some time in the off season to work, see if there's anything there. But uh, like yeah, during our season you have to be ready to step in and play right away. Otherwise it's it's kind of tough for us to spend a valuable roster spot on somebody so so you're really so if have has there been have there been cases where guys show up to the tryouts and you can see athleticism there but you know you don't have mm-hmm. the time to to instruct and coach uh the degree that you would need to in order for them to have a good season yeah, like if we had the the type of structure that an affiliated team would have where we could have multiple position coaches, multiple resources like that, yeah, we would be able to even, you know, and the money, of course, and the housing to hold these guys here and keep them around and, and train them up a bit. Of course we could, but um, that's just not a, a, a thing that we can do. Maybe we can have one or two guys that we have just in case a guy goes down or been banged up a bit, but... Um, there's really not too much we can do as far as like having a season long project, um, unless we know there's just an incredible ceiling there, but that's a rarity. And so, um, the majority of guys, they come in, they play right away. And, uh, you know, one of the things that made us successful this year was that we didn't wait around on guys. If we didn't think guys could, could cut it and they've shown us what their, their best is and, you know, we figure out an alternative and move on to it. But, you know, it's, it is, it's that cutthroat and, you know, and, and I learned that the hard way when I was actually a part of some of these discussions, um, with these guys who got released and I kind of realized like, you have to have a stomach for this too. You have to be willing to be told, you know, unfortunately, you know, this is it for you. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting, um, uh, dynamic as far as talent evaluation and, when to keep a guy, when not to keep a guy. And a lot of it comes down to factors that are unfortunately out of the player's control. I just want to point out that it's also the uh, same case for my adult slow-pitch wiffle ball team. I'm sorry, <laughs> but we, you can't email me if you can't hit. Like, we don't have time for that. So That's I'm, I'm incredible. I'm totally with you, Tim. I'm totally with you on that one. I love would, it. Um, would Tim Tebow have made your adult slow-pitch wiffle ball league? It's tough. He's fast. You know, he's probably faster than I am. Speed kills, but uh, I don't know. Based on those outfield drills, like uh, he was struggling. I don't know if you can catch a uh, you know three ounce plastic ball that's waffling through the air. Uh, if you can't get under a uh, baseball that's taking a straight line uh, directly at you, I don't know. Be tough. Be that's tough. awesome. Yeah, we'll see. And also, swing, swing <laughs> we'll, we'll, that we'll bat takes swinging that bat takes a little getting used to. You know, if you're if you haven't swung a bat that light, it really can feel like nothing really but not we in a good had some, way. yeah yeah we had some guys come over from a fast pitch league and they had to adjust a little bit because you have to wait about you have to like count backwards in your head but uh yeah it's it's funny i just hearing tim say that and i'm like you know it's funny because we do the same thing <laughs> uh but um so i mean getting back to what brandon was 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 you know 
asking with the skills. Um, you know, in the book, they talk about polishing the, you know, polishing the diamond a little bit. I mean, um, do you guys look for coaches and managers that maybe be able to do some of that with these guys or are they just so far, you know, out of, um, out of sync with each other skills wise? I mean, it seems like from the book, you guys had a lot of guys that were different places in their careers, different places in their skill set. Um, you know, is there one or two coaches that could even come in and, you know, work with the subset of players that show up in the Pacific Association? Yeah, I mean the the interesting thing about it is, especially at this manage level, you know, as a manager, you have to be some type of coach too. Whether it's a hitting coach, a pitching coach, you know, what have you, um, you have to have the ability to instruct. That's that's something that is key because you know, for a league or a team that has you know very little resources, having that guy that can be a jack of all trades is is very is very beneficial. And you know, that's what they tried with with Fay last year was, you know, he's this guy who's been so successful on the independent scene. You bring him back to Sonoma. Uh, you know, you say, oh, you can be our player manager. And the managing part um, can kind of catch up with you sometimes if you're not prepared. And, you know, and obviously uh, what happened happened. But at the same time, you know, a guy like Takashi Miyoshi, our manager this year, you know, he was a former player, but he had the ability to coach. And he could see something both from a hitting standpoint and a pitching standpoint. That's very valuable. Um, and then a guy like Chris Matthews, who is our bench coach this year, who's a former catcher, he can bring that perspective in, working with both pitchers and catchers uh, in that sense, also working with hitters too, you know, seeing tendencies. Uh, and it, that type of um, instruction is, is hard to find sometimes. You guys, you, sometimes you want managers who just fill out a lineup card um, but at the same time, it's like the, you, you try and, and figure out what your skills are, how they work, uh, and, and you do everything you can to try and make those uh, attributes shine through uh, as a manager, as a coach. And uh, I'm interested to kind of see, uh, especially a guy like Chris, who's only 25 and was a very valuable piece for us this year, you know, what that ends up being like for his career, like if he ends up being a manager somewhere. Um, which I hope he does. I think he's got a very bright future ahead of him. He's so dedicated to this game. Uh, you know, the, the, there's a lot that goes into these jobs. It's not just, you know, unfortunately, it's not just filling out the lineup card, but you have to have a knowledge base. You have to be able to coach things up. And, you know, if we had a little bit bigger budget, then, you know, we might be able to spread out those responsibilities a little bit better. But uh, as it is right now, we just have to do what we can to, to be as you know, catch as many of those uh, within a couple of guys as we can. Well, we haven't uh, we haven't gotten the chance to say this on the podcast yet. I don't think, Tim. But congratulations to you and the Stompers oh, yeah. on, on on doing the damn thing this year. Um, can yeah, you can you tell us a, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the the deciding game, the deciding second half game where it. Uh, where where you clinched it? Uh, we heard your call, obviously, um, on the uh, on the stream. But what was it? What was it like for you being there, being a part of the team? Well, the, the big thing about the game itself was that it was played very much like the games that San Rafael had won all year. Like um, if people had heard me in the broadcast, or I might have even tweeted it out at one point. But San Rafael was absolutely tremendous in run run games this year. And um, I actually remember talking with Sam about it, just texting back and forth, and just seeing them win another one-run game, and just just going crazy about the fact that they keep winning these things. But that's also kind of a skill in some senses. It's like if you know how to win a close game, if you know how to do the things that allow you to to take those steps forward and and hold on to a lead, like that's valuable. You know that that shows things. Unfortunately. You know, for us, we were on the other side of that. We lost a lot of one-run games. We only ended up winning, I think, five this season. So it was, it was a very kind of a weird thing, but we also blew out a lot of teams. Our run differential was incredibly high. Uh, and so, uh, you know, coming into the game, when it was close, when I noticed that, you know, the fourth, fifth inning, I was sitting there going, like, oh, this is not the type of game that the Stompers normally win, especially against San Rafael. Um, but... 
one thing that I did like was if we got to their bullpen, San Rafael's bullpen was, was just not good at all this year. Uh, outside of one guy, J.R. Bunda, who ended up getting called up to the American Association a couple weeks before the end of the season. And so they're down there kind of grasping at straws. And I'm just thinking, it's like, okay, if it's close, if we get to the bullpen, you know, we, we can we can help, you know, we can figure something out that will give us the lead. And, and we have a pretty solid bullpen on our end. And so our bullpen shut them out after the fourth. And then Scott David, whom people might remember as the bat-flipping five-man infield-beating batting champ of the 2015 season, uh-huh. um, he signed with us for the stretch run, and he drew the bases loaded walk and had the bat-flip of the year on it. And, um, you know, that ninth inning, it was so funny. I, I talked with Mason Morioka, our catcher, about it uh, the, on Sunday because he wanted to listen to the call, and I told him, like there's so many things you want to say that you think about going in and, and you want to make sure you have it. And I don't really take notes. I'm, I'm a guy who likes to have what's in front of me and, and just kind of tell the game as it comes. And, uh, and I remember listening back to my call for the first time and I welled up a bit because that's a very emotional moment. But at the same time, I was like, I was happy. I didn't feel like I missed anything. Like, I, I said what I wanted to say. I got across what I wanted to get across. And, um, you know, what I'll take away personally from it, obviously, the elation of winning that thing, um, thinking, obviously, a year almost to the day after what happened in the championship game the year before in the same spot, in the bottom of the ninth, and seeing us in a situation where they were a hit away from putting this one back in the win column and making us come back on a Saturday and and you know strive to try and make this uh, you know one win just all we needed was one win um you know i just i just take away that we won a game that we don't normally win and when we did that it was our sixth for one one run of the year and it ended up giving us the championship and uh i thought it was pretty pretty interesting that that's the way we ended up winning and and not by the blowout which had been kind of our our calling card in the second half of the season well, I'm sure when you're the team's biggest fan too, and you have that moment of you're, you know, explaining to people what's happening, and you're going through an emotional experience, um, it's really cool when it all kind of comes together, um, and you get, you know, like you said, you get what you want to say across, but obviously you're more than just a neutral voice on the line, you're not just some guy they they you know pulled out of left field, uh, so. Um, yeah. yeah, it was it was an interesting feeling for sure, calling that uh, last half inning. But uh, you know, it was I had to be objective as best I could. But you know, people heard it in my in my swing and a miss call for the final strike. Like that, it's kind of hard for me not to get like overjoyed and emotional. I'm a very emotional guy in the first place, and so for me not to be uh, exclaim like that. Oh, you know, yeah, sure, sure. I, I didn't have it in me to have a uh, a very stoic call. I wanted to. I think maybe down deep I wanted to, but uh, um, I will remember that call for the rest of my life, and I'm 100% happy with the way I called it. Yeah, I have a cousin who just retired from, uh, he was the voice of Dallas Stars, and when they won the cup, the only thing he could say was yes, repeatedly. So, um, you know, I, I think you, you, you had more words than he had for the moment, certainly. And, and, uh, sure. you know, that's a, you know, a couple iconic moments for a couple teams there. And, um, I don't think you need to have, you know, like, uh, you know, a pre-canned, like, I think, you know, Buck sometimes it seems like he wrote out all the things he could possibly say. And then, um, he picks one, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's exciting stuff. And, and the, the, to boot when, you know, when the Stompers do something big, we get to hear uh, Ignition on Effectively Wild the next day. So that's always <laughs> yeah. Sometimes so I, twice. I look forward to that. Sometimes twice. Yeah. I, I still think I still think they need to do an Ignition draft. It needs to happen. I think that would be great. An Ignition draft. Draft, draft the best part. The best draft part the ignition. best parts of the Ignition remix. <laughs> yeah. Oh, draft the Trust, parts of the song. Draft the best parts of the song. Make mm-hmm. it happen. So. All right. Um, I want to. That was a lot of. That was a lot of banter. Holy crime, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was, Sorry, that was a lot guys. Of, 
No, that's that's awesome. <laughs> that was a lot of stompers banter, which is fantastic, uh, right. because it's it's not so often that we have uh, have someone so close to uh, to this team on the pod, and uh, you know it's it's awesome. It's it's really awesome to to hear your insight on uh, on some of these things that we we normally wouldn't wouldn't have any insight into. So thanks for uh, thanks for sharing. But uh, Tim, you also had another piece of MLB related banter uh, that you wanted to throw out there for us. Yeah, I'm going to keep this very short because I know we want to get onto our main topic. But uh, yeah, uh, Adrian Beltre hit another homer where he went down to a knee. And, um, it's kind of, it's kind of like his, his, like, there's a couple of swings, like, uh, you know, when Big Poppy hits a homer, like, I always think about the homer he hit in the World Series, where, or the ALCS, I can't, I'm blanking on it right now, where he tosses the bat straight up in the air after he hits it, and, uh, you know, and, and I'm thinking, it's like, I remember Adrian Beltre, like, that's become his thing, is that he swings to the point where he falls to a knee, and I'm, I was sitting here thinking, is there any, like, uh, I mean, obviously, like, Joey Bats is its own, like, separate category. Like, that bat flip will be retired in the history of all bat flips. But, like, is there, like, a certain, like, a flare or something that you guys like in a swing that you guys wanted to mention? Because I love it when Adrian Beltre does that. Like, I think it's one of the coolest things to be able to go down to a knee like that and just muscle it out. I mean, it's been uh, probably discussed to death with Cubs fans, but um, since Luis Valbuena started doing this with the Cubs, but Valbuena, uh, the bat flip on the singles, like like a little single up the middle, and then oh, yeah. he does a full <laughs> Oh, man, I'm going to make it's... Rangers fans very sad, but do you remember when he broke up Yu Darvish's perfect, uh, perfect game? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah that bat flip. <laughs> I remember that. I was sitting there watching it with my mom, because I'm um, because and of course he was the pinch hitter, and I was just like, oh gosh, oh man, that's so funny that you mentioned that. Yeah, this is gonna be the guy, um, and now he hits home runs all the time. That's all he does. So it's mm-hmm. it's strange. that is all he I miss does. That. Yeah, that's literally all he does. He's a one dimensional hitter suddenly, um, and I, yeah, I was we were talking about this earlier because I'm kind of working on something about like signature moves for Banish to the Pen. And I think a lot of times I think more of, of fielding things. Um, but I don't know if Brandon has anything off the top of his head with the signature. I mean, I, I always love the Anthony Rizzo bunt to third base. I, I freak out every time it happens. It's not really a flare, but it's just there's something flare about it, I guess, that this guy who can hit 40 home runs um, likes to get easy base hits against the shift. Um, every time he does it, I just kind of jump up, you know, like, oh, he did it again. Um, actually, so. actually, the thing the thing about Rizzo, and I had Rizzo on my mind, uh, but the thing I had about Rizzo is that he chokes up, um, and I I feel like that's it's something that I've been looking out for in players since I since the last time I played organized ball <laughs> since in, <laughs> since I played you know Park Little League when coaches would say look you have to choke up with two strikes your swing is too long anyway but you know we want you to put the ball in play and then. I would look and see what professional players were doing it, and I still I still do, and I notice that Rizzo is one of the guys who does it, um, and you know he just he he hit, uh, you know he he passed thirty home runs for the year, and you're right, like he's a power hitter, and he he does these things like choke up on the bat and and bunt to to go against the shift, and uh, you know it's it's stuff like that 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 makes me appreciate him uh, a little more. Um, my, I have a friend who's trying very hard to convince me that he's MVP, but I don't think, I don't think that's the case over, over Bryant, but I still, love, uh, I still love these little things in Anthony Rizzo's game and in his swing that, uh, that I see. I've noticed Votto doing it a lot, but sometimes I forget to look if he's doing it situationally or if it's just his approach you know, period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, um, I mean, he doesn't hit for a ton of power, but he hasn't lost a ton of power either, um, you know, in the last couple of years. He had that slow start, but um, I always notice him doing it, and I make a mental note, hey, check it again, you know, next time, dummy, and um, never actually get around <laughs> to it. So, 
maybe if Barry Gilpin, uh, Gilpin was on the, the pod, he could fill us in, but um, haven't talked to him lately. So That's true. <laughs> That's true. And then uh, defensively, uh, defensively, you'd mentioned uh, Robinson Cano. Earlier. Yeah, that's my favorite, actually, I think, is the Cano running a little bit to his right and then throwing left across his body. Um, it's not as dramatic as the Derek Jeter jump throw, but it's just this little, you know, feet are going one way, arm goes the other way, and it's kind of sidearm, almost underhand at times. And he did it tonight, actually, on a double play. So he uh, picks up the ball, takes two steps to his right, and then flicks it to first base to... Uh, turn the double play. And, um, I mean, ever since he was the Yankees, uh, you know, um, it's just been fun to, to see that it's kind of a contrast, I think, to the Jeter, you know, jump through cause it's so, it's so smooth and it's so just kind of a, you know, natural motion of, um, him moving one way and then the, the ball going completely opposite direction. Um, it's not something I would advise like my nephews to try to duplicate. Um, but, it's kind of also the signal to me when he was younger and people were like, well, he's a second baseman. How good is he? I was like, well, he's got some talent. Like he's got some, you know, natural coordination to be able to pull this off time after time. Um, I don't know. And it just looks cool. I don't know. It just looks smooth, you know? Um, I'm going to bring this full circle. My favorite defensive flair is anytime there's a pop-up to the left side of the Rangers infield. Because mm-hmm. Beltre, Beltre and Andrews are going to do something funny. <laughs> Yeah. Right. No, I I love them. I love them. Yeah. I love whenever whenever anything comes up on on cut four or something that says you have to watch the Rangers infield. Look what they did tonight. Yeah. Right. All right, guys. We we have here's what we have right now. We have a few suggestions in front of us collected from the internet. These are suggestions on how to spice up the wild card. So right now in Major League Baseball, the wild card is the two teams with the best records who don't win the division, and they play each other in a one-game playoff, and that the winner of that game plays the team in that league with the best record, right? So this, this rule was changed not that long ago, but maybe it's time to give it a, give it a, little, give it a little tinker. And let's decide if any of these suggestions that are sitting in front of us are worth pursuing, worth implementing, and uh, whatever whatever we come up with, we will we'll send it to Rob Manfred, uh, and his assistant will promptly delete the email. But we can say we tried. Okay, that sounds good to me. All right. So, first suggestion comes to us from John Smoltz. Uh, former Major League pitcher John Smoltz, who mentioned this on the Jonah Carey podcast a couple weeks ago. His suggestion is that the wild card winning team, the team that wins the wild card game, gets only one home game in the division series. So the the home road split is 4-1 for a uh, for the division series between the team with the best record and the wild card winner. Is this hot or is this not? It depends on when you play, I guess, the home game. Like, is it going to be 2-1-2? Is it going to be, um, you know, it's tricky because if you do a 2-1-2, it sounds good in theory, but if the best team, you know, is, is like going to sweep them out of the, the playoffs, then you may rob the home fans of the, you know, experience of seeing them clinch at home of, of getting to the NL, you know, the championship series at home. Um, I'd almost say like maybe a one, four split, maybe the way to go, even though, you know, they're possibly playing a second and, and maybe even for convenience, you know, if this is the better wildcard team and they're at home then they're at home again, I don't know. You know, you, you keep the travel to a minimum. It's tricky. Um, I like the idea, though, to be honest. I had a, a different but similar idea about splitting up the the home games. As did I. I had, I had something a little bit... Eh, I wouldn't say splitting up the home games, but I had a little bit different uh, formatting that I think would work. So, What's your what's your format? What's your formatting? I, I love the idea of the wild card being a three-game series. Mm. But 
this is how I would split it up. So this is what's so this is just funny. If you have the best record in your league, American League or National League, you have a buy to the CS. An outright buy to the CS. Oh man, then, Cubs would love that right now. Right. But then you have the other four teams and you have just so you seed it out two through five. Two plays five, three plays four. Initially, it's a wild card series. All three games are at the home field of the higher seed because so there's no reason to have travel like that. Right? I understand the idea of like a two and then a one. The third game can be played at the away team, but I don't, I don't even think, you know, give these teams that win that at least, that type of home field advantage. And then it's a five-game series in the divisional, and you do the 2-2-1, just like you had in previous five-game series, and then you do a traditional seven-game LCS. So that way, you're still doing the same number of games, but you're divvying it up so that, let's say, you know, the top three teams, they all get something out of it, right? So the best of the three division winners goes all the way to the CS. The other two division winners get to host for three games at the very least. And then the winners get to move on and then you turn it into your five game and then your seven game series. Like I, I think that would be a great fit. Like I think that would be terrific. Um, you know, and, and I think that if you're in a wild card spot, you know, you might as well go on the road for a three game series anyway. I I like the idea of the three game wild card series and especially if it's and and I actually really do like it if it's three games at the uh, the team with the better record. Um, what would that be? Would that be one game three consecutive days, or or would you go for one doubleheader day and then I was gonna ask, a game? That's the you know, Epstein. I I would say treat it like any other three game series. Okay, okay, okay. Because I, I I think. Because I think that doing the doing the three game set like normal, it's it's very much like it's it's like normal, right? It's like a regular season series. Now, of course, there's that urgency, but it's it's uh, you know the format is is like that. Although I guess if you win the if one team wins the first two, then who needs to play the third? Um, but I I I am intrigued by that idea, and if only that were in place this year the Cubs would have to buy. We would like that. Yeah, we would. Maybe not. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah Giants we, That's true. Yeah. That's true. Um, uh, Nick, what do you think about the, the Epstein plan? The, uh, the two or the doubleheader followed by one additional game. Uh, what I thought the Epstein plan was, and maybe I'm mixing the things together, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. was if the best team in the wild card wins the wild card game, then it's over and they move on. And if they lose that game, then they go to a best two out of three with a double header immediately, I think. And then the third game the following day is that something like that anyway? Mm. So you're doing a double header. Right. This has to be at a game. neutral site. It can't, I don't know. That's like, the that's the weird thing. That's where I'm. Yeah, that's why I'm like, if well, I don't know neutral site, but three games with for in one team stadium, the big problem is revenue, right? No team is going right. to go for. We don't get any money out of this, uh, any ticket sales or concessions out of this. Um, so I guess on the realistic spectrum, I don't think it is. Um, and I think that when you get into like you want to get the wall cut over with. So I don't know if travel is really even possible. I kind of want to get it over with, to be honest. Yeah. Um, that's that's you know. why I was a fan of that's why I was a fan of the way I put it because you don't have to worry about travel. It's three games at mm-hmm. the home team, right? It's just like a regular three game series, and um, you know it's that's the other thing too is that you get the wild cards. It's like they made by the wild card. They don't really deserve. Uh, a home game like you would if you get deeper in the playoffs. And so, like, maybe maybe this idea that Epstein's got, like, it would have to be at the highest seeds 
um, at the literally at the highest seeds field, and everybody just kind of plays there. Like right, I think that's the there. only thing it could possibly be. Well, I was thinking about that too. Is maybe that's you know if you wanted to play more than one game or really wanted to stick it to them, you play it exactly. If if the Giants are the best team, they go play you know in San Francisco at AT and T Park and. They just stay there, and maybe you work out some kind of revenue sharing between those three teams because the Giants are providing the venue and you know the workers, and the other two teams obviously want to recoup something for their time other than just media dollars. Um, but if you could, you know, if you, if you wanted to speed it up while also slowing it down, um, you eliminate travel days, you eliminate, like you said, all that downtime. Um, and just move right in, move right along into the the divisional series. True, true. I want to throw out one suggestion from Nick Bentley, who posted this in the uh, Effectively Wild Facebook group. His suggestion is: if a team has won the World Series within the last five years, they are disqualified from winning the second wild card Hmm. so basically if you have if you have won in the last five years then you you can't be that number five team if you're the number five team then you're automatically out and the team who and then it's treated like the old wild card where the fourth best team automatically gets a full playoff spot that's pretty crazy i mean uh it it, it would know. not uh, it would it would not help the Giants. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, it's or the not. or the Cardinals, right? Cardinals, yeah. I mean, the the Royals have you know, I mean, the Royals aren't out of it yet this year. They're they're still on the outside looking in, but um, I think I have a problem with the idea of it's a long season, <laughs> and uh, maybe I don't want to see a team that is trying to defend the World Series title get get eliminated just because they miss by, you know, that hair of a a game, you know, they end up in between two other teams. I don't know. I almost say like if they won the World Series previously, maybe you give them some kind of you know, defending champion boost. I'd almost go the other way. But uh Yeah, it's a fascinating idea. I don't know what you guys are thinking. It's creative. It's it's outside the box, you know. Um, I I think that the one issue I have with it is just from like a personnel perspective. Like, there's a lot that can happen in five years, you know. Like, there's just, um, you know, to me, it seems like it penalizes teams that unfortunately can't account for something that they don't see coming, you know. I understand, like the idea behind it is that the the most well-run teams get to take advantage of this, right? Or, um, you know, but at the same times, um, it's you know, or I should say, the most well-run teams don't get to take advantage of this. Parity is what eventually takes over. Um, it gets multiple teams involved, but I don't know. I, I think that I think it kind of, you know, if you're a well-run organization. Um, and you happen to have an injury or two, and it takes you out of a division lead, but takes you down towards the wild card, and then you can't get to it. You know, it's that's kind of tough. It's like, well, what what am I supposed to do? You know, sell out so I can, you know, and give up. You know, what could be my future uh, to the extent where it doesn't allow me to recover um, in the future. You know, I don't know. It's it's. A, I think there's a little bit. There's too many things I think in play there for me to to be all gung ho about it. Yeah, I think I think I'm I'm on the I think I'm on the same page. It's definitely it's definitely interesting, and it's definitely not something that uh, that I'd considered. But I, I I almost I definitely feel as though so much can happen in five years that it's uh, you know you could be dealing with a completely different regime, a completely different set of players, and uh, and definitely. And at the same time, be subject to you know, weird, fluky seasons where a bunch of people get hurt, or uh, or a bunch of people have down years, but you're still pretty good. Um, I would almost be more inclined to go Nick's route, where 
where maybe a team that has won a World Series within the last five years maybe gets a little boost. Maybe maybe that uh, maybe that would clinch home field in the wild card game or in the wild card series, right? Um, something something along those lines versus actually kicking them out. Yeah. Well, and you, I think for baseball, it's almost better because you set up the dynasty idea. Um, you know, people don't remember teams that were pretty good several right. years in a row. I mean, like the other day, I was looking at the Rays have like eight out of nine winning seasons in the last nine years. Uh-huh. Like, who the heck thinks of them as a relevant team in the you know national picture right now over the last few seasons? Because I mean, yeah, they had that amazing what was it, 2011. Uh, entry into the playoffs in the last day of the season, but um, you know they they kind of flashed you know flashed hot and, and flashed out quick. You know if you, if you ask most people, um, and I I think the thing about the Braves is that they didn't they have that stretch where they had the best record in baseball over three years, right? Something like that. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and yeah, the before, Braves had that. One. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like before they collapsed, there was a year where they they collapsed at the end of the year, and that was kind of right before they, right before they, uh, you know, went went way down. Yeah, um, I mean, two thousand seven was the year the the streak ended, I think, um, and they kind of stayed in the picture, that, you know, for the few years after that, making the playoffs like every couple years. But um, yeah, I think if you had a, a format that kind of favored them and maybe helped them get back to the series in that 14 year stretch a little more, you might see, you know, obviously it's a better chance to actually win the world series if you're in the world series. So I'm sure they would love that. Um, you know, the Indians having that incredible team that, you know, core of like hall of fame players in the nineties that, you know, only made it to that one world series. Um, shucks, you know, so many teams that, you know, if you didn't live at that time, if you weren't like aware of baseball at that time, you'd totally not know they, how, how cool they were and how, how great they were. Um, and obviously putting teams on, you know, in the world series, it, it, it does something for their image, does something for their publicity. Um, you know, people know who Eric Hosmer and Lorenzo Cain are suddenly. And, you know, a few years ago, we didn't even know who Lorenzo Cain was. So, um, you know, you see what that's done for the Royals. Right. I think anything, I think generally speaking, Anything that that punishes the wild card teams a little bit is something that I would like, you know. And and I think the the wild card game, the one gamer, does that a little bit. But I, you know, I'm intrigued by the idea of tilting the scales away from the wild card team just a little bit more, you know. I mean, I'd be okay with a divisional series that is um, like a maybe a two-three format or a, something like that. I don't know something that would. That's how they used the to have it, right? Yeah, before I think I like that more almost because you give the better team the chance to clinch at home, and you, um, like you said, you tilt the scales maybe a little bit with home field advantage. I guess the flip side is you know you give home field to the worst team the first two games of a best out of three or you know best three out of five rather sorry so if they get lucky once you know or twice suddenly the the whole scales are tipped back towards them (laughs) so i don't know if it's a tenable situation or not if it's fixable um i do like the the australian rules football league Uh um Yes, I don't know explain this to me. You okay, sent so me yeah. there. You I sent us a diagram of this. And it, it looks simple <laughs> when you look at it. It's a little bit harder to explain. But basically, the way they seed their playoffs is in the first round, the number one team plays the number four team. There's eight teams in the playoff. Um, number one plays number four, and number two plays number three, which looks backwards to everything we've ever learned about seeding, except <laughs> the... One and four and two and three teams, if they lose that first game, they stay alive and they go to the next match where they play the team you would expect them to play. So the five and the eight teams play the winner of that will play the the loser of the one versus four, the six and seven teams play 
and the winner of that game plays the or the match, I guess they would say in in, in footy, uh, whatever. They will play the the loser of the uh, the two versus three. So you set up a situation where the best teams in the league are guaranteed not to get out after the first round. They always get to move on. And then what Tim was talking about, where you get a buy round, comes into play. Obviously, they're only playing one match each round. It's a little different, but there's number one number four seeds or the two or three seeds, whoever wins that first game, they get to skip the second round completely, go to basically what we would call the semifinals. I won't get into their naming because it, it it's kind of weird. But um, so the second round, as we'll call it, that's where you have, you know, your, your wildcard teams, if you will. Um, they have to win to get to the second round. But the best teams, um, it doesn't matter if they win, lose, whatever, they get to play in that next game. No matter, I mean, so, yeah, right. So your so your top so your top seeds while they do play in the first round, that really is to that's not a knockout round for them. That determines exactly. their seeding in future rounds. Right, it's a reseeding, if you will, because it 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 turns things around. And I mean, you know, with baseball, the team that has the best record on October first might not be the best team on October first, as we well know. You get injuries or Daniel Murphy turns into Beirut or whatever happens and suddenly everything looks different. Um, and so what they, you know, I think that kind of establishes, Hey, you got to kind of earn your right in the playoffs a little bit um, to establish that you're the, the better team, but we are going to give this edge to the teams that have the best record in the season. Um, you know, we're going to let them get the opportunity to, to skip a whole round of the playoffs. Um, and baseball is tough because I don't know if you can really sit down for a week and then come back and play like you did before. I mean, maybe a pitcher might like that idea, but I don't know if you're going to convince a, a hitter um, that it's a good idea to take a week off. Um, but you know, the, that's almost that's that, almost how it is yeah. for the National League right now because they go Sunday and then Friday. Yeah, it is tough. I mean, they they've already set that up a little bit because, yeah, like you said, um, you stagger the starts. I never understood that either exactly. Like. Why can't we just have day and night games or something and just flip them around? Because the staggered start feels like you're just punishing one league or the other league. Um, and I don't know. I mean, it's Major League Baseball. Like, it's it's a popular sport. But in the fall, it's definitely second to football. <laughs> so, you know, if the team's making most of this money off of gate revenue, I don't know. Does a day game kill, you know, kill one side or the other? Um I actually think I, I actually think I actually think playoff revenue is shared. Um, oh, that's true. Yeah, no, you're uh yeah. But just in terms of, I mean, you know, if you if you start with uh a day night, you know, with the AL and the NL playing on the same day on like a Sunday or you know, whatever the case is. I don't know. It's always bothered me a little bit. I don't know if it even is something that anyone else has noticed or cared about if i i think if i was more into aussie rules i understand that there's some good logic to it that basically the if you're the top seed one of the top four seeds you have to lose twice it's an interesting take on it um i think yeah. it'd be, i think it'd be cool if uh if nobody knew the playoff format going into the season and then sometime around september 1st like they pull it out of a hat Right. And say this is the playoff format this year. <laughs> we know that the top. We know yeah. that the top. We know the top five teams are going to make it, but this is what the bracket is going to look like. Yeah, um, actually, it's funny. Before we started, I knew we were talking on the subject, so I just wrote down random things and like changing the format, like on a four-year rotating basis, was something yeah. that I wrote down. But I think I like your idea better because, um, yeah, you can't plan to have certain games on certain, you know, certain ways. And if you just took a bunch of these ideas and then uh, mixed them up. Yeah. 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 And I guess, and I guess some of, some of why I was thinking about kind of one spicing up the wild card uh, games, but also kind of tilting the scales away from, uh, away from the wild card teams a little more is is watching the 
kind of race to the bottom for the NL wild card right now, where it seems like nobody wants it and all the teams are losing. And, uh, you know, it's it's debatable whether two teams even deserve to be playing for it. Um, well, and yeah, and you look at the AL versus, East. Versus and, the American League, yeah. I guess, because mm-hmm. that's because you have a bunch of good teams who are in the running for it. Yeah, I'm actually going to two of the Giants-Cardinals games this weekend. Oh, man. <laughs> so, so I'm going tomorrow uh, with Theo and Jeff, my assistant, and then I'm going Sunday. Um, sadly, I think Sunday means I have to see Jeff Samarja pitch. I was hoping it was going to be Matt Moore. But, yeah, like I think there, if there's a way for both of the – the way both the Cardinals and Giants are playing, if there's a way for both of those teams to lose, they would figure out a way. It almost and makes then you the, have and like then the a, Mets are left standing. Yeah, there's the Mets. Yeah, the 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 Giants literally have lost. They they just got swept at home by the Padres. <laughs> so, you know. um, I'm I'm going to be at the Cubs game tomorrow, um, where they'll have a chance to clinch. So I'm I'm really excited for that. I've never seen a division clincher in person. Uh, so I'm, I'm fingers crossed. I think it'll happen. Um, on, on the NL, on an NL central podcast earlier this week, uh, I was talking with Alex and Eric about whether I would rather them sweep the Cardinals to clinch the division or win two out of three and then have the chance to clinch at home. And Matt Trueblood, uh, was, was talking to me about it. And he said, you know what, you, you always want them to clinch at home and, think he's right i think he's right and now now i'm living it man now i'm living it that's gonna be a party (laughs) that's gonna be crazy yeah i'm I'm I'm, really looking forward to it yeah that's gonna be awesome i um i'm trying to uh line up a ticket to fly to chicago during the playoffs oh yeah i'm gonna figure out if i should i mean i'm not getting a ticket to a game it's not gonna happen but I'm just trying to figure out, would you rather go when you know that it, this is almost like Darius's, uh, which inning should you watch? If you can uh-huh. watch one inning of a game, if you're going to be in Chicago for a couple of days during the playoffs, do you accept that there will be a divisional series? So I should go then, or do I just go nuts and book a ticket for sometime during a world series home set? Um, and you know, go for broke. Um, you know, hope the, the curse gets broken at least. You know, on the making it to the series front. Um, so it's yeah, it's uh, it's funny how those things play out. Like, do I? It, well, number one, it's spoiled. Like, do I want us to win tomorrow, or do I want us to win two days from now? Right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, it's 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 a different world suddenly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had a friend who these these were in the in the peak Derrick Rose years of the Bulls. Uh, hmm. booked booked uh, tickets to Chicago that would have coincided with the finals had had the Bulls been able to get past LeBron James, which they never were able to do. Uh, but, of course, the Bulls ended up not making it, and she came to Chicago and, you know, still had fun and still hung out and still did stuff because there's stuff to do in Chicago, but there was no basketball. Sadly, and, and then you just feel like is, an arrogant jerk, I guess. Right, because, and that's <laughs> and and when that's that's why you book it, and then <laughs> and then one night we ended up like going to a bar and watching, you know, watching Heat versus Thunder, whatever it was that year, and it it was kind of a this empty, sad feeling. Yeah, I, I mean, getting back to the the wild card, I I almost wish that we could have like a league agnostic maybe play in contests where I don't know, you just have like the I don't know, if the NL ends up in a situation where no one wants to be in the wild card, that's fine. We'll just put an extra AL team, I don't know, against the NL <laughs> team and just flip a, a coin or something. The, Man, now now you're real interleague play. If people don't like interleague play, you're going yeah. way outside the yeah. box. Yeah. The, now we can really fight over the DH, I guess. Throw throw the <laughs> Orioles throw the Orioles in the NL. They get to yeah. <laughs> they get the they get to play like a wild card winner, right? Yeah. Uh, Orioles and AT&T Park probably wouldn't mix too well together. I'm guessing. So. Oh no, they could hit homers at any park. Come on now. <laughs> All right. <fair> <laughs> All right. Well, that was 
that was that was fun, guys. Uh, like I said, we'll compile these we'll compile these thoughts and uh, and send them off to Rob Manfred, and uh, I'm sure he won't read them. And uh, you know, I'll get around to those. <laughs> I'll get around to writing up those notes sometime in the next week or so. Right. <laughs> uh, all right. So I wanna I wanna leave a little bit of time here uh, to promote whatever projects you have going on. Uh, Tim, we'll start with you. What What do you have going on? Is there Is there stuff that uh, that you would like to, to direct people towards, and where can people find you on the internet? Well, Ryan would uh, normally take this opportunity to do a twenty minute tangent on pro wrestling, but uh, <laughs> I actually I actually am um, as far as play by play commentary goes. If you think I'm good at baseball, I actually am a pro wrestling play by play commentator. Oh, uh, for uh, for a, uh, a, a, a an independent federation called Phoenix Pro Wrestling in Northern California in Petaluma, and uh, our recent show, I I made the decision not to do that show and instead called the Stompers winning the championship in uh, San Rafael on August twenty sixth. No, I think you made the right choice, man. As much as I love Phoenix, yeah. Uh, so that's going to come up soon. Uh, just go to YouTube and search for PPW Petaluma, and you'll be able to find that there. Um, you know, that's basically my major project right now. Um, I'm on the job hunt, uh, you know, with me doing this grad school stuff. As much as I'd like to stick around with the Stompers, there's not much for me to do in the off season, unfortunately. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm just right now, it's, it's uh, trying to figure out the next job analyst or not and then once uh, next june rolls around we'll see what happens but uh you know i'll be kind of trying to figure out a project to work on so i don't go too stir crazy but it uh yeah it'll be it'll be fun next couple of weeks and if you want to follow me i'm at mr tim livingston on twitter and uh yeah that's i think that's about it fantastic fantastic thank thank you so much tim uh nick i'll throw it over to you I'll throw it over to you now. Uh, what what do you have coming up, and where can people find you on the internet? Um, you can find me at Caps Orphans on Twitter, and I'm hoping to get another uh, iteration of our fan mood survey going on towards the end of the season. So oh, we collected, man. Um, I am locked in, man. Great, I am man. locked yeah. in. So God, we- do not send that to me. <laughs> just don't. Just do not. Do not send that to me. <laughs> yeah, if you a, do, all I'm going to do is link you to the last 100 Grant Brisby articles. That's all I'm going to do. That's all I'm going to do. Yeah. So some fans are nice enough to share their, um, you know, stealing from the Stompers idea of how locked in are you and, and what kind of mood are you in. Uh, they they shared their thoughts on that, and hopefully we'll do it again before the end of the year. We did it at the All Star break, and then hopefully I'm going to work on this. Um, signature moves series so um i promise it won't be just like a a bleacher report slideshow but uh, hopefully we'll get some good uh gifs or gifs however you pronounce it um into the article so uh hopefully that'll be coming up and what about you brandon what are you what are you working on well i'm uh i'm i'm always telling myself i'm gonna write more for banished to the pen and i think i actually will um with the with the playoffs ramping up Uh, i have some have always have Cubs feelings when uh, when the Cubs are heading towards the playoffs. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Blee Internets, and you can find me in the Effectively Wild Facebook group posting things a lot of times. Um, and yeah, I, I'll look for me look for me a little more on Banish to the Pen and also on NNL Central podcast that I do with uh, with Eric Roseberry and Alex Fizzafulli, and then sometimes Ross Buckowitz and uh, Rob Maines also join us to give a divisional perspective, but also uh, but also we banter about whatever ridiculousness uh, that we happen to be talking about that day. And, um, and you should shame Ross into taking the quiz next time, because there were no Brewers fans that answered our questions, which means I know he didn't answer... damn it it, ross we need to know how locked in you are (laughs) that i think that shows i think that shows how locked in ross is to packers season maybe Um, he just wants to know if it's a zero it's just a zero on both (laughs) right right exactly um all right that's gonna do it for uh 
for this episode of the Banished of the Pen podcast. I want to thank Tim and Nick for sticking around and talking tonight. And uh, give Banished to the Pen a follow on Twitter at Banished to Pen. Give us a like on Facebook. Uh, take a look at our store that's linked to on the website, banishedtothepen.com. And uh, Ken's all, Ken Maeda, our uh, head honcho of pretty much everything to do with Banished to the Pen, is uh, also, he also put together some uh, some gear for Effectively Wild that, uh, that I believe we link to as well. So check all of that out. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. And remember, be nice to your fellow listeners. Sorry. Please forgive me for all the wrong I've done. Please come back home, girl. I know you put all your trust in me.